You are now tuned in to the True Say Podcast, unpacking age-old questions and concepts we reflexively ignore. In this podcast, we're going to revisit topics to help make the critical connections you may have overlooked. Think Quentin Tarantino meets 60 Minutes, where we start at the end and finish at the beginning. Except, in this podcast, we only need 43. I am your host, True Say. Join me as I provide you with a modern perspective. Let's get started. (sighs) Listen, uh, True Sayers, I know I don't typically start off the podcast with, or any edition of the True Say podcast with a sip, but when I tell you, this week has been a doozy. Okay, so I really had to make sure I took a sip of my libation before it got started. Don't worry, you'll get your cue later on in this edition. But um, man, I don't think there has been a better called for, a more appropriately timed edition than the one I have in store for you all today, my true satyrs. I mean, I don't even know where to start. Once again, I want to shout out Astrano Beats for that new treatment for Black History Month, for the you know, and that'll be played in terms of my intro for the remainder of the month. But I just want to shout him out again at astronobeats.com. Check him out. Um, but yeah, this edition, does any good deed go unpunished? I mean, for starters, thank you all for, you know, continuing on this journey with me. We're on the seventh edition, seven of many more to come. But just really want to, you know, um, identify that milestone, like in number seven. Um as you all know, we're going to start at the end, being modern day, and finish at the beginning. Well, you know, I want to just kind of, once again, qualify the conversation a little bit, because when I talk about does any good deed go unpunished, it's not like the other editions of the podcast where we kind of focus on, you know, whether it be a school of thought or a particular person or a concept that can be attributed to one individual. I mean, this topic is a bit not ambiguous it's a bit uh you know esoteric nah not the right choice of words it's a bit out there i mean you've probably come across a sentiment before in your lives you've probably been introduced to the concept to some extent and um you know i want to just make sure you know that it might you might hear me kind of excuse me grasping at straws a little bit but that's just because it's kind of hard to really start at the i mean finish at the end when it comes to this sentiment but anyways Let's get right into it. Does any good deed go unpunished? So, starting at the end, in this day and age, when you hear, does any good deed go unpunished, what does that mean to you? Okay, wait, I'll start. What it means to me is such. Whenever you do a good deed, such as, you know, take out the trash, let's say, or send someone an unsolicited congratulations on an event or congratulations on a historic milestone in their life or, you know, ace a test or impress a loved one with your an act of kindness. The list goes on. But what that means to me is you've now established with either your own social circle, um, the other party within that that representative interaction I just talked about, you've now established with that person that an expectation, I should say, an expectation that you're going to continue to execute this good behavior or meet this level of behavior that you've now essentially um, displayed. So let's give you a good working example. 
when I mention does any good deed go unpunished or no good deed goes unpunished is typically how the sentence is referred to. But for the sake of this podcast, we ask the question. So no good deed goes unpunished. What I mean is, take for example, you have a friend or a loved one. And let's say they ask you to, I don't know, um, borrow money. Just for sake of argument. You have a friend who comes to you and asks, can I borrow some money? And you hmm and ha about it. You know, it's a good friend. You really want to help them out. You know, you understand you get it back. It's fine. We're not we're not talking about the idea that they're going to take the money from you. But let's just assume that this person is going to, in fact, pay you back. So you go and you you lend them the money. And then, you know, time goes by and they, they give you the money back. What's interesting now is you've just performed a good deed. But inherent in that good deed is the expectation from this friend that if per chance and another at another time in the future they require some funds they're going to likely go back to you because not only have you shown the propensity to give you've already done it which reinforces their behavior so now you're going to think that okay this person's already given me money one time what's to say they won't give it to me again and the reality is you've already you know done the execution of providing that person or friend of yours or loved one some money. So now there's that reinforcement within their minds that, okay, this person's willing to give. So if anything, if I ever need money again, they're the first person I'm going to go to. Therein lies your punishment. Now you're on the hook for always being the lender in that situation. Now, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying you're going to be obligated to give that person money or you're now committed to always being the banker in this person's life. It's just to say that what you've done is essentially establish that you are a giver and that therefore when I am in need, I'm going to go to my, you know, my lexicon, so to speak, in my mind or my Rolodex of givers and ask them for money or ask them for something in, in, you know, in, in, in in a sense of a favor. So when we say no good deed goes unpunished, We're referring to essentially establishing a relationship in a person's mind that you are now going to be uh, able to meet the expectation in whatever governing form we're we're referring to. I'll provide you another example, another working example, which speaks near and dear to my heart for this week in, in particular. Let's say you're at work and you're known to be somebody who is always willing to offer a helping hand. Right. You're able to, I don't know, somebody will come by and ask you a question. You'll do the due diligence and try and figure out the answer. Or let's say you volunteer to one time come in earlier to help a colleague perform a task. Now, you're thinking to yourself, I'm doing a good deed. I'm helping out my colleague. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm bettering the actual work environment by being a team player, a collaborator, a partner. Right now, what happens? Whenever that colleague plans to lead another event early at the crack of dawn or requires someone to offer a helping hand late at night, who's the first person they come to? You. You know why? Because you performed a good deed. You set the expectation in that person's mind that you are now reliable. You are reliable for continuously providing good nature support. You're going to do so without requiring any type of remuneration, compensation, nothing more than a pat on the back because you are just altruistic. And therein lies the fallacy. 
And when I say fallacy, I mean the mistaken reasoning. Many of you would think, and I shouldn't say that, but many of us, speaking for myself, would think that by performing a good deed, you're going to be simply rewarded, right? You're going to simply be taken and you know taken care of, or or shown and and revered now amongst your peers. Which don't get me wrong, you likely will be. You'll likely get some good commendation. You'll get some you know good recommendations, and people will take care of you and think highly of you, which is great, fantastic. But now. Think about how many times you want to say no, and now you feel you can't say no because not only are you looked upon in these people's eyes as a reliable contributing team player who is always going to be able to lift and help and provide that extra, you know, that extra additive that they can't do on their own at no cost to them, or sorry, at no expense to them. But not only do you have to do that, you're thinking now if I don't do that, the corollary is they're going to look at me badly now. They're going to think, oh, wait a minute. You're, you're no longer interested in helping me out just because? Oh, I thought you were a team player. I thought you were a collaborator. So now you're in a dilemma. You're thinking, okay, wait a minute. I wasn't, I was okay with doing the good deed the first time, you know, because it just made sense to me to go and help you and provide you that assistance. But now you're asking me to do the good deed repeatedly. So therein lies the punishment. You're now being tasked with this extra burden to always perform this good deed. Now, it becomes routine in these people's minds that you're going to be able to produce and perform this good deed. Okay. Now, let's use a sports analogy, which is I hope that this will apply to all my true satyrs. If not, let me just articulate it really clearly. We have because, you know, I'm from the six. We have a, a star player, well, quote unquote star named Pascal Siakam. Right, Pascal Siakam has a great year in basketball in um, 2019. Raptors win a championship. He's this budding star. He averaged like nearly uh, 17 points a game. He went on to average like nine rebounds. You know, glowing, glowing stats for for a player at his particular level of experience and stature in the league. The next year, he follows it up and has an even better year statistically wise. Great points, great rebounds, great team player, you know, taking over games, the world, you know, doing all you would expect from somebody at that level who's now ascended to superstardom, right? So not only did he help Toronto win their very first championship, not only did he excel the year following by even doing better, he's now established that on a nightly basis, he's going to be able to perform at a certain level, you know? Do a good deed. Help his team win. Now, there's a little hiatus. The pandemic hits. We have to figure, I mean, not we, the NBA has to figure out a new way of, of implementing games. And I won't go on too much to say about what happened. But the reality is, Pascal Siakam was not able to perform at the level he was expected to perform at. Now you hear all the naysayers. Now you hear all the critics. Now the people who loved him are now scathing him with respect to vitriol about how he's no good and he disappeared and what happened to the player we we came to love so dearly all that because he wasn't able to perform the good deed now not thinking about the fact that he's being paid to perform at a high level or not really considering the fact that he is you know a professional athlete what i really want you to focus in on in this example is that he was doing something out of his own skill set. He performed well. He came in and worked hard and did a lot of things good. And now his punishment is we expect you to continuously do things good. And the minute he was unable to, 
you heard all the naysayers and all the bad-minded people. So let's provide another example that might be a bit easier for, or not easier, but a bit removed from compensatory type behavior. Let's talk about you remembering a loved one's birthday. Now, imagine you have an aunt who you don't necessarily have the closest relationship with. And when I mean close relationship, let's define that. You're not, you didn't grow up with this aunt or you didn't live in the same household, but you speak to her on occasion, okay? Let's say you speak to this aunt every year on their birthday. Now, you decide to go in and say, I'm gonna call my aunt every year for her birthday, wish her a happy birthday, and spend some time on the phone with her. The one year you forget, I guarantee you that aunt will look at you differently. She will have something to say simply because you've set the expectation that you're going to call her every year on her birthday. You're not obligated to. Nowhere in the rule book of being a niece or nephew does it say you must call every aunt on every birthday and you must spend a couple minutes talking to them. No, you're actually just being a good relative and that's simply it. You're doing a good deed. But because you've done it continuously out of the goodness of your heart, you've now set the expectation in that person's mind that you're going to perform that good deed every single time annually. So I think you're, I think what I'm you're, you're, you're seeing where I'm getting at when I'm when I mentioned this whole idea of no good deed goes unpunished. And the question we have today is, does any good deed go unpunished? Can you just do something good and and people not really expect you to continuously do it? I don't know. Well, let's put it this way. Can you do a good deed with people knowing you've done the good deed and have that expectation not fall on you? I think it's easy to do a good deed behind closed doors or anonymously, I should say. Then absolutely, there shouldn't be any expectation there because there's nobody to put an expectation on you. You're anonymous. But once you identify you've done a good deed and there is an audience who witnessed this good deed, can that good deed go unpunished? And I think that's what the interesting premise, the age old question that I want you to think about and kind of muse over when I give you that jingle, you know, to get your your beverage ready to really think alongside me. So we're still in modern day. I'm not jumping back and forth, but I want to really reinforce the fallacy that, uh, you know, the fallacy being if you perform a good deed, you will be rewarded. Right. That's the I think where there's a mistake in reasoning. Not always do you perform a good deed, do you get rewarded. What we're talking about today is when you perform a good deed, you actually get the reciprocal of that or the, the, the opposite of that. You actually get a punishment in the form of now raising the level of expectation in that person you interacted with or whatever respected party's eyes. Okay? So we talked about sports. We talked about um, lending your uh, loved one money. We talked about you know, remembering a birthday. We talked about work. I want to use another working example. Now, I think I mentioned it subtly, but doing an unsolicited act of kindness, right? This is another interesting area of when you do good deeds. So imagine you're with your, your partner, you have a life partner, let's say, and you decide one day to make them dinner unsolicited. You just take it upon yourself to wake up, um, Go downstairs, prepare the meal, and do all the fixings, right? Get all the fixings, get everything ready, and throw together this nice dinner. This person comes home, they're so impressed, they're really appreciative, they thank you galore, and you think all is well, you did a good deed. Now, months go by, 
and you decide, you know what, you're just not really a cooking or you don't really enjoy cooking. That's just not what you do. You felt the need to do it this one time out of the goodness of your heart. Not in, you know, comp- not to compensate for something, a wrongdoing before, but just because you wanted to do a good deed for this person. Now, nine times out of 10, whoever you've done the good deed for is going to remember that you've done it before. And when there's extended period of time where you haven't done it, they will likely bring it up and say, you know, I really, really wish you'd cook for me more often. I really enjoyed that last time you cooked for me. It was so good. Why don't you do that more often? Now, look at that, right? Now, some people would like, you know, that can just roll off their backs. It means absolutely nothing. But for a person like me, when you hear you've done something good and this person now expects you to continue doing something good, Maybe not, you know, not vehemently expected to do it, but the point is they have logged in their memory banks that you're capable. They're going to reintroduce it in conversation. And when they do, you're going to have to think about, wait a minute, I didn't necessarily want to get caught up in cooking all the time, or I didn't necessarily want to get caught up in doing this good deed repeatedly, right? But now, now you hear from this person like, oh, I, you know, I really appreciate it when you did it last time. So, you know, like, when do you expect I'm doing it again? But... Truth be told, you had no, you had, (laughs) you had no, uh, I wouldn't say indication. You had no plans whatsoever of doing this again, of initiating that activity, unless asked. You had no plans of doing it unsolicited, maybe in the future, maybe a year from now, maybe two years from now. But now it seems as if you have to do it at least once a year. Same thing goes with when you've, when you've essentially, um, let's think, when you've, I don't know, folded the laundry, you, you came downstairs, you folded the laundry because it needed to get done. And, uh, you know, maybe that wasn't your necessarily chore in your household, but you did it because, I don't know, you had time on your hands. You didn't want to have idle hands. You didn't want to just lay and wait. You said, you know what, let me just do something productive, you know, de-stress. And you folded the laundry, right? Now, when you, you see laundry needs to be folded, you know, you're just not in the mood. You overlook it. You continue with whatever you're doing, whether it's watching something on Netflix, watching WandaVision on Disney Plus, you know, listening to the Tuesday podcast, whatever it may be, in place of doing that chore. You're now in held in contempt by whoever has whoever is responsible regularly for conducting that chore is now looking at you like, wow, you mean to tell me you couldn't just fold the laundry? It's right here. You're not doing anything productive. Nothing's taking up your time and you couldn't just fold the laundry. <laughs> and I, I say that jokingly because don't don't think I'm, I'm definitely not here trying to bash anybody in the household who who needs to fold the laundry or who does what. I'm just talking about, you know, topics in general. I'm just kind of musing on the idea that you can do something good out of just just for the sake of doing something good or nice. And the funny thing about it is that once you've done that good deed, once you've committed that act of kindness, many of the time you're actually getting punished by way of doing it. Yes, you're receiving words of endearment. You're receiving the, the, the niceties from people or the audience of, of whom you've performed that good deed, but you're, you're going to likely be held to that standard going forward. So going back to the idea of performance. Let's say you've been asked to orate or speak at a at a um, you know a family function or sing, let's say at a family function. Whatever your talent is in terms of performance for an audience, and you did a good job. People laughed. People were engaged. 
You kept you kept everybody entertained for a short period of time. I kid you not. Once they see you've got a talent, once they see you're willing to perform a good deed, you are now going to be expected to do that at every family function. Up until you meet that request with some type of negative attitude or simply just, you know, blow off the person listening to you or blow off the person who's asking you. I, I, I don't want to guarantee it, but I can reasonably assume and confidently assume that the members of your family will continually ask you to do that good deed just because you've done it before. And I think that's the whole point I'm trying to get to when I ask the question, does any good deed go unpunished? I don't think it's necessarily that easy to really answer because it depends on who you're doing the good deed for or what the good deed composes of, right? What I've been describing for the last 15 minutes or so in, in the True Say podcast or this edition is our good deeds that are pretty, um, you know, transactional. And what I mean by that is you, you do it in, in you do it in an instance, right? It's like a, you know, you go and you purchase something. It happens in a controlled space. Like it, it's not, um, it's pretty finite. Sorry, it's pretty discreet, right? It, it just happens at a moment in time and then that's it. It's not like a long-winded develop, delivering of things. So when you perform in a play and you do a great job, when you ace a test, when you fold the laundry, all these things are pretty finite or discreet in terms of how long they take to commit or perform, sorry, to execute, right? So when we're talking about like really discreet tasks, that's where I think we fall into the conversation of a no good deed goes unpunished. And when I say it does any good deed go unpunished now, I think it depends on how long you're performing said good deed. Right now, let's say you're doing a good deed. In your mind, you have plans of doing something continuously for a year or an extended period of time. What could happen is you could potentially outlive the expectation of the good deed. People might get so routinized to this behavior from you that when it doesn't happen, they might expect it because it might say, well, you know, you've been doing it for so long, you might be tired of doing it now. Or they might have no longer even associated that good deed as a good deed. It might now just become your normal mode of operation. So because when you don't do it now, it just seems like you had an off day, right? There won't be any type of contempt held against you. There won't be any type of bad words uttered in your presence because they're now like, well, you know, you, you've been performing that good deed for so long. Let's give you a break. So... But does that really constitute a good deed? I don't think so. I think by I don't want to you know be literal, but when we're thinking about a, a good deed, I don't think that refers to long-standing or routine behavior. I think it refers to instances, discrete behaviors that one can kind of speak to in a moment, something that can be done in a finite period of time. And I think when I'm talking about this this concept or this top topic for for this edition. I found it really intriguing how much I find myself uh, a, a major contributor to my own endless punishment in a variety of different ways by way of performing good deeds because I feel like they're, they're, the niceties are, in fact, very important. And the reason why I say that is because you perform good deeds because you get some type of kickback in the form of well, certain altruistic people, let's say, let's say, not altruistic without speaking so highly of myself, but people who take pleasure in seeing happiness in others, that is where you get your, your reward. But what happens now is the energy you've exerted the first time may have been very high and, and very natural. 
it didn't even feel like you were having to produce or exert more energy. It kind of was just a, a reflexive response. But now when the expectation is put upon you, I think it changes in terms of how much energy you're exerting to perform said good deed. You're now more or less having to drum up this energy. You're now having to you know, say words of affirmation to really get yourself geared up to perform this good deed on occasions. Oh, sorry, on more than one occasion now because it's no longer doing for you what it did the first time. The first time you performed the good deed, you got that adrenaline rush. You got that that feeling of, you know, being a provider. You felt like you were, uh, you know, the person in charge. You were, you know, you were executive, executive. You, you, you know, you got things done, right? You didn't have to worry about somebody telling you to do it. You were proactive. You just really want to provide that helping hand, something that you don't really feel is, is delivered from everybody else. But then, but then you're now expected to always be ready and willing. And I think therein lies an interesting, interesting, you know, paradox when it comes to doing something for good reasons, only to end up having to feel obligated to do it all the time. Like, what? Where do you fall when it comes into that that lens of thinking, or that that I don't want to say modality, but where do you fall when you start thinking about how do I fit into that picture? Do I want to do things because it's just a good thing to do or do I want to do good things to get the reward, but then no longer do that good thing anymore when the reward starts to dwindle or starts to wane or dwindle? Okay, you heard that sound. I think it was a prime time for you to, once again, get your beverage, hot or cold, soft or hard, and, you know, just zone and you know, tune in right now for the remainder of this edition of the True Say podcast. So now we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about the history of the, the sentiment, no good deed goes unpunished. So funny enough, as, as is everything with the English language, um, there is a number of different iterations or interpretations for no good deed goes unpunished. So once again, to sum up what we kind of talked about earlier, when we say no good deed goes unpunished, what we're saying is once you've performed a good deed, once you've done an act of kindness, that there is an expectation from that transaction or there's an expectation from that experience that you are now going to continually do said good deed. It means that you've now identified a behavior or a level of behavior that can now be expected of you. And that expectation now requires you to be conscious and cognizant going forward to always be ready and able to perform said good deed. Therein lies your punishment, okay? So I hope that was a clear kind of explanation of what, what, a, what is meant by no good deed goes unpunished. So back to my point about it being said in multiple forms or multiple iterations of it, um, another framing for that, that topic or the topic of this edition of the podcast is every good deed brings its own punishment, right? That's another way of kind of interpreting it. And, um, you know, there's, there's, there's other ways of experiencing it. There is, just give me one second, um, kindness brings its own, its own punishment. There's another way of interpreting it. So I won't continually give you more and more, but let's get into the history of it. So what, like, I, like I mentioned at the beginning of this edition of the podcast, we're not really talking about a category of thought 
and we're not really speculating on an event in time or a particular behavior. We're really speculating about um, essentially the psychology behind why it is we place these expectations or burdens on people unnecessarily or almost not unnecessarily, but unfavorably. So the history of the, that the sentence or the statement, no good deed goes unpunished, is rather murky, to be honest. It's a kind of permeated through time and not, excuse me, not one person can really identify where exactly was the first instance of no good deed goes unpunished. But through my research, the earliest indication of this sentence appears in the 12th century or of the 1100s in some medieval Latin text. Um, a scholar at Oxford University had translated um, some text written by an author by the name of Corte Walter Mapp. Uh, this person had wrote a, a body of literature that can be titled De Anubis Curialium, which is uh, in English translated to, from Latin, um, is translated to Courtier's Trifles. Um, so the medieval Latin text was translated into English and published by an Oxford University scholar in the 1920s. So we're talking about you know eight, eight centuries later, 800 years later. So uh, the scholar quotes, he put the worst of men to command the bad. He gave additional authority and power to those who were wickedest in their attacks in the innocent and promoted over all others to whom pity was unknown. He soared nine of his band who inclined to spare any, left no good deed unpunished, no bad one unrewarded. And when he could find no rival and no rebel on earth, Copanius goes on to do other, other things of that nature. So I want you to focus on that one lyric I just basically uh, presented. So I'll, I'll say it one more time. He soared nine of his band who inclined to spare any and left no good deed unpunished and no bad one unrewarded. So you can see in literally the, the early 1100s, there was this, this sentiment that um, amongst these band of men performing whatever type of activity, there was a sentiment that there was no good deed that would go unpunished and no bad deed that would go unrewarded. So that's kind of like the, the, um, the reciprocal of what we're talking about. But we won't get into that. So a more modern day, let's call it, um, point in time where we can attribute this, this topic to uh, appears in 1972 um, and can be attributed to the famous writer by the name of Oscar Wilde. So here's another instance in time where we can say, okay, this is the person who, quote unquote, came up with this phrase. Um, Oscar Wilde wrote, once again, in his body of work, he was a, an author, or humanitarian actually, and he wrote, no good deed goes unpunished when referring to some of the humanitarian aid that uh, countries or people were, were, were willing to provide to those in need. Um, funny enough, there was a point in time before Oscar Wilde had written this sentence or written this phrase in a body of work, and it can be attributed to a playwright and diplomat by the name of Claire Booth Luch, credited for saying it in 1949. So all, all we can really gather from these three different instances in time I've just listed to you is that the actual creator or the the moment or the, the experience that led to this phrase being uttered and then consistently permeating through time, we really can't find. It's pretty murky. 
there's no really, I shouldn't say there's no, but according to my research, as far as I know, there isn't really one particular person who could be attributed with coming up with this phrase because it's, it's where there's instances of it appearing in text as early as 1100s. So it, it's permeated through time, right? Um, there's, there's another piece of text I want to, I want to share with you that kind of goes on to show you how murky and how, uh, you know, ambiguous it really is in terms of who was a person who I, who came up with this phrase. So in October of 1927, um, once again, another, uh, author by the name of Lowndes employed this saying when she published a diff, a, a short story in, uh, the Windsor magazine. And she wrote, few women are as foolishly generous as you are. Do remember that kindness brings its own punishment. So once again, another iteration of saying the phrase, but it really goes to show you that throughout time, there's been a number of people who have identified this phenomenon amongst society, right? Within their circles, they identify that once again, kindness brings its own punishment. No good deed goes unpunished. Um, this every good deed brings its own punishment and we can go on and on and lament and lament but the point being is there are so many different indications of this showing up in, across in historical text so as you always know we we've, we've started at the end we finish at the beginning we see that there's there's signs of the medieval times good deeds being punished bad ones being rewarded we see that kindness is its own punishment we see that every good deed does not go without its own punishment. We're seeing that in both eras that I've been able to try and juxtapose for you in this edition, there are elements of human behavior where when one produces a good deed or performs a good deed, there seems to be some level of expectation that follows it. Or there's at least that relationship that we now know that once one performs a good deed, some type of punishment is going to come of it. Now, I think what was really good for us to kind of unpack during this edition is that the good, the punishment does not necessarily mean physical harm or literally some type of consequence that's going to negatively or adversely impact you. The punishment is really in the form of you now being held obligatory or held, held accountable, sorry, for being able to perform said good deed repetitively. It should now become routine of you to perform said good deed. And what was interesting is we talked about this behavior in a variety of ways. At the beginning of this edition, we talked about good deeds at work, where we have individuals who are willing to go above and beyond, come in early, leave late, take on a number of other people's tasks, task share, take on responsibilities that don't really fall within their job profile, and they'll do these things out of the goodness of their heart in order to help the team deliver on whatever its objectives are or against any targets they have in their, let's call let's call it their annual business plan. So not only are you now necessarily positioning yourself as a team player, but you're unnecessarily positioning yourself as somebody who is now responsible for doing more than you are required or doing more than you're paid for. So... You've, you've set up this dynamic that you're going to always be an individual who performs good deeds, such as coming in early to um, help, help put together a project plan or put together a presentation or set up the apparatus for delivering a 
a presentation. You're now going to be an individual who is willing to take on more work or take on more job responsibilities because there's a need there and you're willing to help offer that, that you know, lend that helping hand. We talked about a sports analogy where you're going to perform above and beyond for the purposes of helping your team achieve that overarching goal or reach that dream vision of winning whatever championship or being successful. And now you're expected by your peers and your fans to continually achieve and perform at that same level every single night. So interestingly enough, we also transitioned into performing good deeds amongst your loved ones, which many of the time should be automatic. They should be reflex, reflex. But there are times you may not be in the mood. There are times you may be selfish and not selfish in the sense that you don't you want to see somebody else suffer or you want to see them, uh, you know, not, not in a way that's going to harm that person, but selfish because you're just not necessarily in the mood or you don't have the energy to perform that executive task, whatever it is, or execute that activity because you're just not there. That's just not where your mind is at. But now your loved ones or your family members have this expectation of you to do so. And when you don't, you've let them down. So now not only do you feel bad about not being able to perform said task, but you also have your loved ones looking at you a bit negatively and a bit disappointed, honestly, because they thought that this is something you just did. They felt and they've had that expectation of you now to just do these things. So we also talked about performance in that, you know, you could be somebody who decides to pick up a microphone at a family function or, you know, be the center of attention, whether that be providing some comedy, some comic relief at a, at a function, um, orating, speaking some kind of spoken word, singing, whatever the case may be. You may, out of the goodness of your heart, decide to take all that attention, put yourself on that pedestal or that soapbox and go and perform for your family members in order to make that occasion that much more jovial, that much more interesting only to now be held to that same bar at all future family functions you attend. You're now going to be expected or at least asked to perform. You're going to be asked to help or provide that lending hand. You're going to be asked to speak or asked to make those jokes and make everyone laugh. And they don't do it necessarily because, you know, you're being paid to do it. They're not doing it to say, oh, this is your job now. They're doing it because in their memory banks, this is something that you do because you are you enjoy it, it seemed, because you didn't have to be asked to do it. No, you didn't necessarily say you enjoyed it. You're saying you, enjoy, you just wanted to do something for others because that was the mood or spirit you were in in the moment. But nowhere in that did you make a, uh, you know, an a nonverbal commitment that you are now responsible for committing this good deed or conducting this good deed on every occasion when that good deed is necessitated. You know, you didn't make a nonverbal agreement that you are now going to overexert yourself when it comes to work or overexert yourself when it comes to performing in a game or overexert yourself in terms of always doing something that your spouse or family has asked for or didn't ask for, but you know they would enjoy. Right. So I, I know it's an interesting it's an interesting concept because 
not only do we feel as human beings, and I think it's in our nature to always want to impress upon our, our, our colleagues, impress upon our neighbors, our friends, that you, know, you want to do unto others as you want them to do unto you. But it's, when it comes to doing a good deed, nowhere in that execution of the good deed is there that said, you know, that verbal commitment or that verbal request from somebody else that I'm doing this now so that you will do for me in the future. But when you've done the good deed for the purposes of just simply doing the good deed and there's an audience, what, what, what you tend to find out is that that audience now is going to always come back to you with that expectation for you to do it again. They're going to ask you to do it again. And I know the very first example we talked about was money. And without getting into the idea of that being a punishable good deed, what's interesting, and I think the, the best part about that working example, is it shows you that you have a propensity to give. Inherent in your character or personality is this giving nature, right? And what's, what's so interesting about that is that people pick up on those things very quickly. Human beings will automatically code in their minds a certain caliber of person for different things. And if I know that you are willing to go out of your way or are willing to take your finances, your time, your resources and share that with me out of the goodness of your heart, I'm not saying they'll take advantage of it, but they will remember and that will go on to govern their decision when they when they approach another similar situation where they're in need. And that, I think, is ubiquitous across the board, whether it be at work, whether it be at family or social functions, whether it be with your friends and loved ones, whether it be with your spouse. You're now inserting into their memory bank. They've now consolidated that experience and are now going to make sure that you know there is an expectation there. Right. So as I wrap up, as I know, I'm coming up on the 43 minute mark. I just really want to consolidate my argument and really ensure we've had a chance to unpack this question. So the question once again, does any good deed go unpunished? I honestly don't think so, especially if there's an audience there. And I think it's really interesting for all of you, my crusaders, to think about it when you're, con when you're thinking of doing a good deed. Don't get hampered by the idea that the expectation or a bar might be set, but just know that when you do said good deed, take note of it. Remember that you may be expected to do it again, but just know that you're really helping somebody in that moment. And although some punishment might get attributed to said good deed, at the end of the day, you're doing the right thing. So we come to the close of the seventh edition of the Truce Podcast. Thank you for rocking with me, and I'll see you next week.